Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As I said before, I don't like absolutes because what's right for me and what I need to feel that I've made successful progress to my goal may be wrong for you. Well, you are in for a treat on this week's episode of On Air with Ruben J. I'm really excited for this week's guest. But, of course, before we jump into all the formalities and all the introductions and all the friendliness that comes with this podcast, we have to talk about dollarinthejar.com. I know I know, I bring it up every week. I know I talk about it a lot. I know, I know, I know. And I promise you that once you sign up for it, I will continue to talk about it. But dollarinthejar.com is your place where you can find all things on air with Ruben J, all things multimediamouth.com all things that are going to help build your life into a better, well-rounded, entertained life. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I believe with all of my heart, I believe wholeheartedly that dollarinthejar.com will not only help me out, but will help you out as a consumer. So, what you get at dollarinthejar.com is community. You'll be able to build a community with people who also listen to this podcast and other podcasts that are be coming out in the near future uh, that are in development. But uh, you'll also get this podcast early-ish and ad-free. That means no more plugs, no more ads from random pizza companies. None of that stuff is going to be happening once you've signed up for the $3 a month Dollar in the Jar membership. Okay, so do that. Uh, this week's episode is great. We're gonna jump in that in just a second. I do also want to say that if you are not following me on social media at the Ruben J on all things social media, uh, I don't know what you're doing. I'm literally on everything. I'm on Truth. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Parlor. I'm on YouTube. Uh, I'm on MySpace. If you still use MySpace, I am everywhere. So head over uh, everywhere at the Ruben J and follow this podcast on uh, at On Air with Ruben J. And this is On Air with Ruben J. Wow! Are you ready for this? And the winner, and the winner is, is Ruben J. Ruben J here. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of On Air with Ruben J. I'm really excited for this week's guest, and, and I think that you're really going to find some great little nuggets of information that you can use for uh, what I'm going to call the rest of your life because it is that good, it's that important, and it's that educational. 
that I think you're going to be able to use what you learn on this week's episode for the rest of your life. But I do want to real quickly uh, address, obviously, the big news that happened uh, last week. Uh, the Queen of England has passed away. She is now fighting in heaven with Princess Diana over who is the royal one up there. But in, in all reality, I do want to send my condolences to my friends and uh, and people in England who care about the monarchy. I, I know that there's some controversy around the monarchy. I personally do not care. I have not cared about the royal family in any, any, any respect. I do not care about the royal family. I never have, probably never will, especially now that a an alleged pedophile is uh, is the king of England. I'm but I even with that I'm not I don't care one way or another. I, like it's an alleged you know, it's an allegation. Uh I am I'm sad for the country who cares about the queen who is in mourning right now over the next 10 day or the next like 7 days left. Um it is a very big moment in history. I think that the most important thing that people like myself who aren't drawn by the prestige of the monarchy and aren't drawn by the formality of the monarchy like i'm a big believer of you know we are the united states of america we left the monarchy for a reason why are we going to then turn around and worship this queendom is my my thoughts at least but But at the same time, we are living through a moment in history. The last person to hold the royal crown was seven was over seventy years ago. Queen Elizabeth II held her crown for seventy years, making her the longest reigning queen, longest reigning monarch in modern history mainly because she's been around for the entire modern history. Winston Churchill was the first prime minister of the UK that she installed. She oversaw seven, ten presidents. She installed 15 prime ministers in her country. She may not be perfect, she may not even be slightly perfect. She may not even be good, depending on what you believe. But she's historic nonetheless. And the queen has done something historic by just surviving. She dedicated her life at a young age to, to serving her people. She dedicated her life to servanthood when other members of the royal family dedicated their life to building their own personal brands and building their own influence to the world while other members of the royal family built Netflix shows and podcasts she continued to be a steadfast for sure thing for a lot of people 
And while at the end of the day, the monarchy had no political power, it was all symbolic, Queen Elizabeth will go down as probably the final traditional Western culture icon. So to the queen, may she rest in peace. To my friends in England who are mourning, my heart and my prayers go out to you. To my American friends who are in mourning, why? She was not somebody who had any sort of clout over the United States. It's not like we lost a... Like, it would make more sense if, if we lost a president for people to be sad. She wasn't a president. She, wasn't, she was nothing of any sort of significance to the American people. So why? I'm paying respect to her as, as, as somebody who did something historic. Why are so... It's beside the point. It's beside the point. So, as we jump into this week's episode of On Air with Ruben J, I do just want to take a moment to allow the reverence of the moment to be here. I'm not dedicating this episode to the Queen. I'm not doing that. I don't believe in that. I don't believe that the Queen should have any sort of uh, power when it comes to that. But, I will tell you that there is, um, this is a moment in history. So take it with a grain of salt or whatever it is that you want to take it with. So with that being said, let's jump into this week's episode. I think you're going to like it right after this quick commercial break. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. On air with Ruben J. I am excited to be uh, joined by this person right now. I believe this podcast, this episode right now, will uh, change the trajectory. I can't talk uh, of a lot of listeners' lives right now because it is interesting times that we're living in financially. Uh, and she is a uh, an accountant and a financial guru. Uh, and she's going to teach us all things on how to become a millionaire. Please welcome to the show, Marcy, Marcy Grossman. Uh, Marcy, how are you doing today? Well, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed by the introduction. Um, I, I don't think I can promise millionaireship. But the best I can do is hopefully uh, help you make better decisions with what you have. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I do full disclosure. Uh, 
I just I completely lied to my audience about the millionaire portion of it. But uh, I think every little decision will help people get one step closer uh, to financial success in their life. And and one of the reasons why um, when you and I connected that I was so interested in having you on the podcast is because we are in such an interesting climate uh, in the financial world. You know, it seems like the entire world is on the brink of recession. You know, and depending on what stats you look at and who you listen to. Some people say we are, we're in a recession. Some people say we're not in a recession. Some people were saying we're, we're walking the line. So hopefully in the next you know, little bit of time that we have together, uh, you can help uh, my listeners uh, make some decisions coming into this next future uh, and, and the next you know, foreseeable future on, uh, on how to manage their money best uh, to survive the next couple of months. But before we do that, can you do me a favor? Can you just tell people um, a little bit about your long history uh, of being an accountant? Because I, I read your bio and I'm, the first thing that, stu- that stood out to me is that you've uh, been basically been an accountant since the age of 12. Um, and I remember being 12, 14, I was a bookkeeper for my father who was also, you know, at that point in time, he was a CPA and I was not So 12 is a little young and I wasn't doing accounting. I was, I was just doing basic bookkeeping and, and, uh, and support roles at that point in time. Yeah, but tell so me a little don't bit more. Make me even older than I am. <laughs> but please tell me a little <laughs> bit more about that because you know I thought I think to myself back when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, and yeah, I was a hustler. I would you know go do car washes and stuff, but you know I never sat down and did math for you know. <laughs> so please uh, tell me a little bit more about how you got into this into this business and and why you started so young. Well, so my dad uh, was a CPA. And uh, that meant certified public accountant, and he would keep the books and ledgers for people and do their tax returns and, and all things financial that a, that a CPA might do for their clients. And he would come home with, because this was way before computers, this is, we'll just say many years ago, and he would have these big green ledger sheets with columns and rows of numbers, and to be able to have them be useful to them, they needed to be totaled out. So at about the age of 14, I, I learned to use a 10 key adding machine and total those columns of numbers for them, him and make sure that they really, all the totals were absolutely correct so that he could go on and, and do the uh, the more intentional part of, of the job. So it was it was nice to work with him and spend that time and see what he did. And then when I went off to college and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, uh, I tried a lot of different things and considered a lot of different roles. And the next thing I knew, I graduated with a degree in accounting and became a CPA and uh, knew how to knew how to total the, the ledgers. But by then we were starting to integrate into computers, so I didn't need to add the columns anymore. <laughs> I, I love that. You know, and I, I think to myself, you know, if I were able to go back and, 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 you know, be 14 again and be able to go to work with my dad for a little bit. I think I would just to learn, you know, he was a, he was a chef, so it was a little bit different, but, you know, to be able to learn just a little bit more about kitchen life and, you know, some of those skills that I think a lot of people uh, would find invaluable. And I, and I think it's interesting just, you know, I'm not a numbers person. I'm not a math person. You know, I actually recently, I'll tell you this funny story. Uh, I had done my, my, my day job, you know, they off, when they gave me the offer letter, I did some math to figure out how much money I was making 
uh, a year, and I completely messed up the math and thought I was making about $9,000 less a year than what I actually am. So when my boss corrected my math, I was very surprised that I had an extra you know, $10,000 or so uh, in, in my, my budget. So I'm not a math person at all. Um, during that time frame when you were working with your with your dad and helping him out, um, did it jump out to you as something that was exciting to you and something that you wanted to do, or was it just something that maybe just came easy to you that you then later were able to turn into you know a, a career and a job? Uh, it came it came easy to me. I hadn't necessarily thought about going into accounting when I when I started college, and uh, it came easy to me and it made sense and it was very logical. Uh, when people talk about accounting and, and having to know, you know, calculus and all that kind of stuff. And I said, no, it's really a lot more like legal with a little bit of math thrown in because it's following the rules and the laws and trying to make the best decisions uh, within within what you have to do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. I have a friend who, who um, I was watching her do some work uh, in, uh, in Excel and she's like, 90% of my job is just knowing what to do with the numbers, you know, in Excel or in, you know, whatever program we're using. The other 10% is me realizing, oh, this isn't adding up. So let me pull out my pen and paper and figure it out if I need to, you know, hypothetically speaking, you know, so it's not so much of needing to know a bunch of math. It's knowing the rules and knowing what the numbers need to look like at the end of the day. Correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here a lot, but that seems to be, uh, you know, a lot of these jobs out there, it's like it's just knowing kind of what to do with the tools that you have, and then if those tools happen to fail, knowing how to do it, you know, another you know, fifty other different ways as well. Is that is that something that maybe you might say is correct? Yeah, pretty pretty close. If it, if something fails, figuring out what's failing and why it's failing, so that you can make sure it does it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's jump into you know, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, you know, we're entering some very seriously. Um, you know, this is the first potential recession of my adult lifestyle, you know, my, my adult lifetime uh, outside of the little COVID recession that we had. Um, you know, so I do want towards the end of the show, jump into some maybe some more tangible stuff. But, you know, right now, a lot of people are employed, a lot of people are making money, you know, even though cost of, of living is going up and, and, you know, people are spending more at the gas pump right now and, and spending more, you know, in the grocery store, uh, you know. I want to know, like, what's what's maybe like one or two things that you can think of in somebody's day to day life that they can really start making better financial decisions uh, that will help them be able to weather the storm a little bit better. Uh, be it maybe buying off brand, you know, items. Maybe it's uh, cutting back on on Starbucks or, or something like that. That's tangible for people to take away right now. What's one or two things that you think that everyday, you know, Americans and people around the world should be doing to help uh, mitigate the hit that we might be taking here pretty soon? Well, I tell people you should always live not necessarily within your means, but even under your means. So that if you're earning, let's say $10, you're only spending eight, mm -hmm. uh, especially now as prices of food and gas and everything else is going up you have to really be aware of the fact that that spending that eight is really going to be like spending 10 shortly as the prices go up it, it will be that 10 it's being aware of what you're spending and what you're earning setting a budget so that in terms of just understanding how much you're taking in and how much you're spending so you know whether you're living within your means or not 
too many people look at credit cards. Well, if I've got room on my credit card, I can pay for it. And if I can afford to make the payment, I can go ahead with it. But it has to be something that's comfortable because when change happens, you don't necessarily get a whole lot of lead time. Oh, they're going to be cutting your hours. Oh, that raise or bonus you were counting on isn't going to happen. Or, you know, even worse, if, if you're let go as, as the economy changes and companies have to cut back. Well, that's, that's something I think, um, you know, I, I listen to Dave Ramsey a little bit, and he talks a lot about living underneath your means and, and trying not to, you know, he says don't rack up any credit card debt, any debt whatsoever. He wants you to he wants you to buy your house cash, you know, if you can swing it. Um, I, my opinion, and and I will be completely transparent to anybody who's listening right now. Uh, do not take my advice for anything when it comes to financials because I do not have a good track record. But you know, my opinion has always been if you have a good credit card that gives you good points and um, you know might have some benefits to it that maybe doesn't have a huge high uh, annual membership if or, or any at all uh, and you're able to use it and pay it off at the end of the month as opposed to carrying a balance that's okay uh, I've heard different schools of thoughts about that you know I've heard people say you know carry a small balance I've heard people say carry no balance I've heard other people say don't use a credit card at all. Pay cash if you can. Use your credit card for gas and you know gas and snacks at the very least. Is any of this does is there any like practical, uh, good practice or best practice when it comes to credit cards that you can give somebody? Because I think the trap that we fall into, and I'm seeing it with a lot of my younger friends, is people think that. If they have $400 in the bank and $400 on a credit card, that they have $800. And the reality is you don't. You have $400. It just depends on are you going to spend it on paper or are you going to spend it on plastic, in my opinion. what's what's your What are your thoughts on that? Well, a couple of things. Anything I say, first off, is my opinion. Second off, every advice I'm giving is educational purposes for you to make your own decisions. I'm not giving financial advice for you to run out and say, this is what Marcy says I need to go do. Yes. Uh, and, and third off, I don't believe in absolutes. There are very few things that are absolutes. So everything you said is true in certain situations. <laughs> for your credit, for, for you to have a credit score, you have to have a credit card, a mortgage, a car loan, a something that shows you have a track record of paying things off. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think you should use your credit card and get their bonuses and whatever else and pay it off every month so that you don't pay any of the interest because credit card interest is expensive interest. If you can't afford to pay it off and you need it to buy groceries, then carrying a little bit of debt because you have to to get your to-dos done hopefully is as temporary as possible. It's there's people who say, hey, continue to have mortgages on your house, never pay off your house because house interest is probably less than you would make in the stock market in in the long course of time. These all become personal decisions and at different ages and different stages and different financial circumstances, different things are the right answer. But you should you should always look at what do I need and then make sure your needs are taken care of and then look at the overall picture of how do I get my financial house in order of having more than I owe 
and and you want to get that in my opinion o number as small as possible i understand people having having debt for houses having debt because you bought a, a newer or newer car that has a loan on it sometimes unfortunately health becomes something that you need something and you don't necessarily have the cash for and certainly education uh, depending on on if it's something you believe in don't don't go to college and get debt because you're bored mm. go because you have a plan and a goal and and you see how that debt is going to give you benefit later on but just carrying credit card debt because oh what the heck i've got it in my bank or whatever and carrying the debt not paying it off that's expensive money yeah long term wise i don't think people realize you know if you look at your credit card statement it will tell you uh, somewhere towards the bottom. It will say uh, if you took the entire length of the loan or, or the credit line to pay it off, how much you're actually paying in in interest. And if you have, you know, as an example, you know, if you have a five hundred dollar credit card and you take ten years to pay it off, you're paying a lot more than five hundred dollars to to pay that credit card off. Uh, and, and I don't think a lot of people realize that at the time when they're just swiping their card and maxing out their credit card. Uh, because they have, you know, because they got it in the mail and it said, "Hey, congratulations, you pre, you know, you you pre-qualify." Yeah, look to see what the interest rate is on your credit card. Yeah, and if you have a car loan, look into see the difference between those two interest rates. And then you'll hear on the radio, I think mortgage loans are up to five and a half percent, which is twice what they were a year ago. But when I got my first house many, many, many years ago, the uh, mortgage rates were eight to 10%. So it all depends on your perspective, what's high and low, but credit card debt is among the most expensive debt you're likely to have. Yeah. I think the the difference between, you know, auto loans and mortgages versus credit card debt is about 20%. There's a 20% difference usually like most credit cards, you know, especially the ones that I'm talking, I'm not talking about like your, your American express cards and stuff like that, which are different and just, you know, they're, those are charge cards, not really credit cards, but like your Capital One cards, your, you know, the, and even more predatory credit card companies out there will charge you 20 to 35% interest just because they know that a lot of these people who are, you know, are getting these credit cards cannot pay off the balance and they will make, they will make their money off of you. Uh, and that's how they keep their shareholders happy. <laughs> But, but some of the times the reason they charge those loans and, and the reason they charge it on the people who don't have credit scores and whatever else is because they don't know that these people are going to pay them off and they do have to get their money somewhere because mm -hmm. that's how credit card companies, I mean, they have, they have people at credit card companies. They've got to pay their salaries. They've got to pay um, to keep the lights on and to have the technology and whatever else. So like any other business, they have to make their money. I have a whole chapter in my book about about where credit card money comes from and, and uh, how you might get charged. Like at gas stations, they typically charge, I think, four cents more, many gas stations per gallon if you're using a card as opposed to paying with cash. Yeah, and that's always that to me, that's always driven me kind of crazy because I'm like, I, I understand. I know that there are layers upon layers upon layers of people who get paid every time you swipe your, your credit card. You know, it's not as simple as swiping your credit card and the bank just sends the money to the merchant. No, the bank sends the money to a merchant who sends the money to another merchant who sends it to another merchant who finally sends it to the gas station. There's like eight layers of people between 
the 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 consumer and the end merchant. It's it's well. Remember, if your if your credit card company gives you some kind of perk, whether it's airline miles or whatever else, you're getting paid also, and yeah. that money has to come from somewhere. Well, it comes from from the vendor, whatever type of store it is. They're paying some of it. So gas stations and and other companies that say, hey, if you use a credit card, you have a a service fee or whatever. What they're doing is they're passing some of that credit card fee onto the people who are using the service as opposed to everybody. So if I pay in cash and it's the same for me paying cash as it is for you paying credit card, I'm paying part of the credit card fee that gives you the um, benefit of the convenience of using your credit card. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a problem with companies that do that as long as they as long as they lift it list it up front and then I get to make the choice. Do I want to pay with cash or write a check or um, or pay with the credit card and pay that that premium for the convenience of using a credit card? Yeah. And a lot of times I sit there and I think to myself, is it worth the, you know, half a percentage of um, <laughs> of cash back I get to use my credit card? And not when you can say it, but sometimes it's, you know, there's a gas station right by my house that. The, the cash price is about 15 cents cheaper, you know? And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to use cash, you know, because it is, uh, it's, it's a better deal in the short term to use cash, especially when gas was over $5 a gallon out here in California. I'm I'm very interested in in learning about more of uh, smart credit card usage because I think uh, I I think our, our I think our society is failing young people when it comes to credit card and debt usage by not actually teaching them how to properly use credit cards and again so many of my friends think that if you have four hundred dollars in the bank four hundred dollars on credit card you have eight hundred dollars and that's not I thought that way for many years and I've I've just recently realized. No, no. The idea is, if you have four hundred dollars on a credit card, that's an a that should be an emergency, last case scenario. If you don't have the money right away to pay it off, but it's not eight hundred dollars; it's four hundred dollars. You just decide how quickly you know which. Do you pay for it out of pocket right right away, or do you pay for it in a month um, or sooner if you can? Um, but my my question for you when it comes to credit card debt is, it, you know, in in your opinion, what's the best way if you have you know, maybe, um, you know, a significant amount of credit card debt that is just piling up. Is there uh, a suggestion or an opinion that you have to uh, effectively pay down that credit card uh, debt in the fastest possible way without hurting your your day-to-day living too much? Because, you know, the the $25 and the $35 and tw- you know 19 you know the minimum payments here and there if you have five or six credit cards adds up quickly do you have any advice or or opinions on on that so you're talking about if you have multiple credit cards right yeah or just even even so yes so if it's just one it's real easy you you take every extra dime you've got yeah. and and you put it in there that that's easy it's when you have multiple credit cards that it's how do you prioritize yeah exactly okay so there's two different ways that you prioritize. There are two different schools of thought, and of course the name fails me right now. So one is you take the highest credit card, the one with the highest um, interest rate, and you pay the minimums on everything else, and you pay the one with the highest interest rate off first with, with all your extra dimes. 
you know, I, and I'm, I'm using dimes because I want you to know that every, every penny of principal extra that you pay off gets you forward to your goal. So never think that an amount is too small to be that extra amount you put toward your principal when you're paying off a credit card. By paying off the one with the highest interest rate first, what you're doing is you're going to pay less interest total because it's just the way the dollars work. If I'm paying 10% on, on this $100 and I'm paying 5% on this $100, this one cost me $10, this one cost me $5, get rid of that higher one because it's going to be more expensive. Another school of thought is you take the one with the smallest balance and you pay that off first so that emotionally you feel that you've made progress and now instead of having five credit cards to pay off, you've got four credit cards to pay off. It costs a little bit more to, to be prioritizing based on the balance that each debt has as opposed to on the interest rate. But money is an emotional thing. And if we forget that and we just use logic and, and ignore the emotional component and ignore those victories of getting one credit card paid off that some people need, then then that's a problem. And that's, that means we're falling into those absolutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I said before, I don't like absolutes because what's right for me and what I need to feel that I've made successful progress to my goal may be wrong for you. And so you have to, you have to look at it and say, okay, what is it that I need to feel successful to keep moving forward? Because to pay that off when you've got a lot of it, you are going to have to take a hit on your, on your other spending, whether it means you buy off brands, which frequently are made by the main brand anyway, um, or it might be you forego Starbucks instead of having five a week, you have three a week, or maybe you cut it down to none. I mean, you have to make your own priorities. The, uh, the most important thing is whatever you do is you recognize your progress and, and celebrate it so that you can feel successful moving forward, that gives you the incentive to keep doing what you're doing and maybe cut a little bit deeper. Absolutely. I agree 100% with that. I um, I, I think that there's uh, victory in both both methods. And the other kind of big thing that I've, I've been wrestling with <clears throat> in my life when it comes to finances is, you know, I, I have a little bit of an emergency fund, you know, stashed away. And a lot of people that I talk to say, you know what, you shouldn't really carry an emergency fund that's excessive when you have high credit card debt and that you should pay down the credit card debt and not really have much of a savings and then rebuild it once you've paid that credit card debt down, you know, because then all of a sudden if you have five credit cards and each of them are costing you 30 bucks a month and you start paying those off then you can start re you know if you pay those off you can put those 30 bucks back into the savings account as opposed to continuously paying off the credit card debt and that never makes sense to me because then I'm like well if I pay down if I spend $1000 and I pay down one credit card and then my car blows up and I have to spend $1000 that now I don't have in cash I have to put it on a credit card again and now I don't have $1000 in my bank account or on a credit card is there some advice uh some best practices maybe that you can say uh, build build a little bit of savings account and and pay you know like how how do you prioritize that especially going into a potentially a uh, recession style economy in the near future? Well, this is this is going to come down to that personal emotion again mm -hmm. because 
there are people who are going to say, I need to have that nest egg to feel secure. And there are people that are going to say, well, I don't want to pay 20% on my credit card and earn 1% on my savings since the credit card isn't being closed and you're not in any uh, defalcation or whatever else that, that your credit report is, is going to take any hit on that. You've always continued to make your minimum. It's going to come down to personal. Dollars-wise, it makes more sense to pay off the credit card debt because of the higher interest you're spending than what you would be earning on the bank. Me personally, I'd prefer to have that savings that I can access, but this isn't a right or wrong answer because in the instance you had $1,000 put away, instead you used it to pay down that would have been 20% credit card and, and you're not earning that, that 1% and you have to borrow it maybe a, a month later or a couple of months later, that's that period of time that you're not paying that extra interest and that that's a little bit of extra money you're able to put on. And, and when I'm saying these, these interest rates, it isn't 20% a month on your credit card. That's, that's 20% or whatever your annual interest rate is that gets divided per month, but it does add up. And, and if the dollars are that tight, you might be better off paying off the credit card and, and, not necessarily emptying your savings, but bringing it down so because of because of the extra dollars um, that you're saving by paying off that credit card. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. And you know, once the credit card is paid off, you know, then you, then you have an extra little bit of money that you can hopefully do something smart with. Um, and that's put it back in your savings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put it back in your savings. Um, you know, if you have the opportunity, you know, if you have a job that, that, you know, you're able to put some money in and some investment somewhere, maybe look into doing that as well. Um, do you have like a, like a rule of thumb for yourself as far as like how much you keep fluid and how much you keep tied up someplace, um, as far, as far as stuff like that? Cause I know everyone, everybody who is an accountant or a financial advisor has different rules of thumbs on how they like to have, you know, 20% fluid and 30% in the stock market and, you know, so much in, tied up in this and that, and it, it gets confusing. <laughs> well, it, again, like, like with so many other things, it comes down to what you feel comfortable with. The rule of thumb is theoretically, you should have three to six months savings liquid, however you want to call it. So that if you lose your job, if your car breaks down, if whatever, you've got that money for, for your emergency funds that is accessible anytime, day or night, however you need it to be. Um, but I mean, if what you have is a credit card that's, that has, let's say, $2,000, $5,000 line of credit, you've paid it off in a way that is your emergency savings if you need it. And you could be a little less fluid if you needed to be so that you could you know, pay down, pay down the other debt. I like having that cash on hand. I think three to six months is a good amount to have on hand, but, but even so that's in a bank, whether it's in a, a CD or whatever, it's, it's e relatively easily accessible money, you know, maybe not a CD, but a money market fund or something that earns a little bit of interest, but you can grab at any point in time. As far, far as the stock market, um, I, I'm going to tell you, as soon as you're working, you should be starting to put something into your 401k or 403b or whatever retirement plan. Even if it's 20 bucks a paycheck or five bucks a paycheck, I don't care 
whatever it is, start getting in the habit of putting that money away because the younger you do it, the more that money is worth. Money that sits in the stock market for 30, 40 years is worth more than money that's only been there for 10 years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how people become millionaires over the course of their life is having some set money in, in the stock market, adding to it and getting that, what is it called, compound interest payment or whatever. Um, I don't yeah. understand. I don't understand it, but <laughs> I, I just know that a few years ago I started my 401k and within two years I had about, I think $6,000 for taking like 60 bucks, you know, a paycheck out and just throwing it in there. And then of course my employer matched it and, uh, and I'm like, wow, that's almost, almost free money, you know, um, especially when, when the employer started matching it. So now I'm going to tell you, you need to read my book. There's a whole chapter on it. It'll explain it all to you, and, and then you'll know everything. Well, tell me about your book, because like, I'm, I'm looking right here, and I, I can't find any of the information on your book. So please tell me more about uh, the book that you – oh, here it is, Money Marcy's Guide to Financial Literacy. It's, That's it, it. It says it right there, and I was, I was looking right at it. I'm like, I can't find your book anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I hid it in plain sight. Yes, it's uh, no. I'm just a man, and I can't find anything. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but please tell me more about about your book, because I would love to to have our our listeners walk away with a tangible about their about you know, something that they can go out and buy that they can hopefully get some best practices out of. So uh, my book, Money Marcy's Guide to Financial Literacy, is available on Amazon, and what it is is I took the most common things that I felt people needed to know, especially uh, younger people as they start working and, and earning money or managing their own money, maybe when they're going off to college. And uh, I explained things like budgeting and credit cards and things to look at on your tax return. When you're new in the, in the workforce, I explain about the different types of health insurance you might be offered, uh, the different forms you might fill out for employment and uh, what things mean, different types of investments. We don't talk about money as much as we should. Um, culturally, it seems to be a no-no. And uh, I think people don't learn if you don't talk about it. It's not like you can be brought up in a vacuum and all of a sudden you go into the workforce and you know how to make all these decisions and you understand what it is that they're talking about. and, and uh, I'm hoping this bridges the gap and, and helps people understand their money better. And then I support it with my website, which is just uh, moneymarcy.com. And I post blogs there and I have worksheets that are explained best in my book. But if you were to get the book and it would, you would then go to the website and you could pull down a, a worksheet and you would understand how to use that spreadsheet to work through your own budgeting or your own investing estimates and uh and hopefully get you on the right track early on and early on in life so that you can make good decisions and become that millionaire later on yeah absolutely so one thing that i want to bring up real quick um is like you just mentioned we don't talk about money enough in this in this culture in our, in our culture for some reason and you know i think a lot of people think it's polite not to talk about money and I think a lot of people think that it's no, you know, we'll figure it out later. <clears throat> and but I think that I think that parents of young children should learn to teach their kids the the value of a dollar, the value of saving a dollar, 
and the value of spending their their dollars wisely as well. Um, is there a way that you think that conversation can start with the fa- and maybe in a family unit or in a neighborhood or somewhere that maybe in a generation or two we won't be having conversations about people having overwhelmingly burdensome debt because these conversations happened and people learned to I know I'm I'm speaking you know very big picture stuff here but is that a possibility is there is there something that people that parents can talk to their kids about at the dinner table or you know in the morning as they're getting ready for school that the public school system won't won't show them and a lot of private school systems won't won't teach these kids either uh any advice on that well i don't think the schools is a is a won't i think it's can't because there's so many different people i don't know about who you went to school with but where i went to school there were people that didn't have a lot of money and there were people that had a lot of money so it would have been very hard for the teacher to teach to such a broad Mm -hmm. uh grouping because they wouldn't have had that uh that bridge easily to understand each other. So it, it would be something that at least the initial parts need to happen at home. I'm a big believer in um, letting kids misspend their allowance. You know, these you're going to get X, X dollars a week, a month, however it is your family might do it and say, and, and these are the things you're responsible for. And if you overspend it, then I guess you'll have to wait till next time. And if there's something big you want, you're going to have to take however long it takes to save up that money. And if you buy candy, then you're not going to be able to buy that video game because you won't have enough money. You had planned for four weeks, you'd save your allowance. And then you went to the candy store and now you're going to have to save for another few weeks or whatever to be able to buy that thing. And I think it's much easier to learn from your own experiences than it is to learn from someone else's experiences. So we have to let kids have those experiences and those financial failures when it's small and when it's not painful. Okay, so I can't get my team's jersey this week, or I can't go to the movie with my friends, or I can't, you know, depending on, on whatever age they're at, not to bail them out on the, on the less important things. But, but let them feel, um, I don't want to say feel the pain, but I guess it is feeling the pain if you can't get the concert shirt that all your friends got or you can't buy the comic book you want because you ran out of fun. That's actually great advice. I, I, I remember being a kid and you know we got a little bit of an allowance but you know most of my money came from going around the neighborhood and washing cars and pulling weeds and uh, believe it or not I tried selling dirt once um, and uh, actually made a little bit of money doing it because I guess I was just so darn cute um, as a little kid bagging up neighborhood dirt and just selling it back to neighbors but um, you know my parents would come in whenever I wanted something and didn't have the money they would come in and they would supplement it and I think long-term wise, it set up a bad habit of thinking that if I can't afford the, the $2,000 computer that I want, oh, I can put it on credit. I can find some place to supplement. I have half the money. I can supplement it someplace else because my parents were always there to 
with with the small things. You know, I wanted a brand new movie, and I only had forty dollars. And the movie for or the game, let's do a game because movies weren't that expensive. But the games were like seventy bucks, and I had forty. My dad would come and hand me, you know, you know, three ten dollar bills and say, "Go buy the go buy it." And you know, as an adult, it it kind of looking back, you're like, "Oh, that's where this bad habit started." If my dad would have said, "Well, you have three allowances coming in the next month." Uh, why don't you just wait till next month to buy it? Because then you'll actually have the money. It teaches kids two things: one, wait, you know, wait till you have the money to buy it. But two, it teaches them to be patient about making those decisions as well, and realizing, do I really want that sixty-dollar game? You know, is it really worth it? Maybe my friend might have it. I can go play it over there first and see if I really like it. You know, that type of—that's a great piece of advice for parents. And I, I do have a lot of parents who listen with young children. I hope that they. Uh, take that piece of advice and say, you know what, I'm going to implement that in my my kid's life here, because I think I think long term wise, it's going to create responsible uh, young adults in the future. There's there's nothing that that uh, teaches as much as your own experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So what I what I would like to do here is uh, give you give you some time to, uh, you know plug any any services that you might have any any resources you might have for our listeners uh and then after that i do have one final question for you um so marcy take it away tell people where they can find you and and what services you might be able to provide for them uh or resources that you might have for them well uh, i think i already plugged my book that is available on amazon and of course you can go to my website uh, moneymarcy.com you do have to spell marcy correctly so M-O-N-E-Y-M-A-R-C-I dot com. On my website, I have links to the book on Amazon. I have uh, links to my LinkedIn and TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. I have a Facebook group. I have uh, blog posts and I have spreadsheets that are available for you to download and um uh, links to the IRS site and to the Social Security site and to other resources you may want. And uh, yeah, my only services I'm selling uh, are the book or if you want to hire me to come out and speak to your group. But uh, but I do have a lot of resources that are that are available for free because I think this is important and I wanted to make things very accessible for people. My book is available both in paperback and as a digital download. So it is very affordable and accessible. I wrote it geared toward uh, younger adults because starting out, but I've had older friends say that they've read things. There were things they always did. They did it right, but they didn't understand why they were doing it. And it was nice to just understand why. And, and I think that's important on any decisions we make financially and others to understand why we're doing it and, and do it with intention. Absolutely. All right. My last question for you here, and I think this is a big one. I think people listening to this will hopefully get a nice little nugget of information out of this. So Marcy, in your life over the last, however long you want to look back, what's one thing that you did in your own personal financial life that you feel was the best decision you made, whether it be a spending habit that you cut out, a savings habit that you implemented, an investment, uh, tactic that you put that's not advice (laughs) what's one thing in your personal financial life that you implemented in your life that made a difference that our listeners might be able to chew on a little bit and see if it might be right for them 
you know, a lot of people don't worry about the small dollars, but they think about the big dollars. And I pay attention to the small dollars, especially the ones that are going to become a habit, such as picking up that daily coffee or whatever. And I think when you look at the small dollars and how they add up, that can be a, a big awakening and a big opportunity to really increase your savings. Absolutely. We'll put it in perspective here for you for, for a second. Anybody who's listening to this, um, I spend on average on a bad week. Actually, you know, I'll, do, I'll do a bad week. On a bad week, I spend $35 a week just on Starbucks. That doesn't sound like a lot of money. It adds up. But it adds up. And at the end of the month, when I'm all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, $150 behind on my normal like oh i thought i had more money than this you go back and you add up this look at the starbucks transactions and you go dang it would have been so much cheaper if i was if i would have spent 35 dollars on a good coffee maker one month and then 35 dollars on a good coffee the next month and then just started making coffee at home it'd be a different game changer small dollars matter right absolutely all right. Well, Marcy, thank you so much for taking the time out of your, your Saturday to, to come join me here. Uh, moneymarcy.com will be in the description of this podcast. Go, be, go get the book, Mar- Money Marcy's Guide to Financial Literacy, uh, and then reach out to her if you, uh, if you have a group of people that want some, uh, some coaching, I guess, is the best way to put it, right? Um. Uh, as a speaker, I guess you could call it coaching. It's just educational. There you go. And, educational. Uh, also, I'm always looking for more stories. Uh, if when you read my book, you'll see that I use stories as, as examples. And I'm always collecting more stories or suggestions for topics to cover. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Great. Marcy, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be back with more in just one quick second. All right. That was my conversation with Marcy. Grossman, she is uh, moneymarcy.com. I hope that you got a little bit of something out of that because it was a great conversation for me. I learned a lot just talking to her. And um, the one thing that I learned is that you need to head over to dollarthanjar.com and subscribe and support the show. And with that, I'm out. I will see you guys next week with a big guest, I hope. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.